When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I think that that is massively important because it gives you confidence. And if you can see yourself, and it only has to happen one time, you see yourself in the game winning home run with your eyes closed, and then it happens, you're you're at a whole different level of confidence, and that certainly gives you a massive edge. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacor from the Reform Sports Project podcast. We have an exciting new guest today, country music star Matt Stillwell. You probably remember Matt from his debut single, Shine, which was a Billboard's country music charts top 50 hit back in the late 2000s. A former all-conference baseball player while attending Western Carolina University, Matt joins me to discuss the power of visualization, the value of learning from and moving past failure, and why he believes preparation and confidence go hand in hand. Back in the freaking fight. I am excited. Got another just phenomenal guest. I don't know how I keep, you know, getting these folks uh, to, to give me their time, but uh, I'm very, very humbled and grateful. Flipping the script a little bit here. Love to talk to different people, different perspectives, get all the angles and kind of bring them all back together. But I'm super pumped to have uh, a dude who I uh, was fortunate enough to connect with a couple of years ago. We've chatted several times, built a great relationship. We actually know a lot of the same people through the circle of college baseball. Country music stud, Matt Stillwell. Matt, thanks so much for hopping on, bro. Absolutely, man. It's great to talk to you. For sure, man. And before we get into your background and athletics and you're a sports parent and all that stuff, you're, you're, you're neck deep in it just like we all are as parents. I got to ask, though, man, like having been a college baseball player, someone like myself at one point who was neck deep in it, you, you were hoping to get, you know, get drafted, pursue that path like we all dreamed one day to play in the big leagues. But you ended up becoming a big leaguer in, in, in country music, right? So how did that start? Were you born with a guitar in your hand? What, what was it like for you growing up? Was it, was it music? Was it sports? Was it both? How was it? It was, it was way more sports. I would, t- I would say almost 98% sports and maybe 2% music. I, um, I sang in church just like a lot of people uh, do. And then, you know, chorus and school and stuff like that. But it really wasn't. You know, maybe sixth, seventh grade, something like that. Um, I started kind of singing. I, I sang in church. I did a solo. That was my very first thing that I'd ever done from a singing standpoint. And, you know, I can still feel how nervous I was for that. I, uh, you know, after that, I obviously continued to sing a little bit. So I guess I felt uh, pretty good about it, you know. Um, but really, you know, sports dominated that whole thing. I didn't. Honestly, I didn't pick a guitar up until I was out of college. Holy smoke. So hot like yeah. did you have to work your tail off on it? Like how did you even like what drew you to that and, and what was that process like of learning how to play? Yeah, so I I had taken a couple of um piano lessons just to kind of get some music theory underneath me and and I had you know, the singing had, had picked up a little bit. I did a couple pr- productions in high school and with chorus and stuff like that, but 
you know, anytime that there was a conflict, <laughs> you know, sports won that, that battle every time. And so as I got into college, I did, you know, a couple of maybe three piano lessons, something like that. Um, and, and the guys would want me to sing at like parties and stuff. And so that, that kind of worked out a little bit, but it wasn't like me sitting down and playing with a guitar. It was just like singing acapella or singing along to, you know, a Clint Black or a Garth Brooks song just to impress the ladies or something. And, but it wasn't really in my head, but you know, I think it was buried back there a little bit, but I'll tell you, I think the, the turning point I was, I played in the Valley League, the Shenandoah Valley League, and I played for Winchester, the Winchester Royals. And, you know, we would take those bus rides up and down 81. And um, there was a guy on there, and I'm going to kick myself because I can't tell you his name right now, but he would, he heard me sing or whatever, and he would make me sing on the bus, those bus rides. And so I did that, and we went out to karaoke a couple nights, you know, after games or whatever. And I did that a couple times and that was my junior year. So I, I was coming off, you know, a really good year at Western and we had won the Southern conference and got beat by Tim, Tim Hudson and, and the regional, uh, that was pretty good. Ju- <laughs> it's my only justification. I was two for four that day. <laughs> you go. Uh, not, not against them. Yeah. I was over two against him. They, they took him, you know, he's a, he was an all American center fielder crazy just stupid and uh but the kid they brought in i think his first name was patrick uh he was like a sandwich pick you know uh too he, he wasn't a slouch or anything I, I got a couple hits off him so that's my only justification in that regional but i you know i was coming off a great season had a lot of stuff going on and uh got in the valley i was playing pretty good but you know for whatever reason you know in my in my mind looking back and i haven't really ever talked about this um looking back at that it's really I would tell you that's kind of when the good Lord started planting that seed. And um, you can't see me using my hands right now, but I'm I'm just kind of doing a a scale, so to speak. And I always tell people it was right around that time that music really started to to come up a little bit. And and now that baseball went down any stretch, it's just music kind of started catching up to it. I um, I recorded a a five song, five little gospel songs that uh, that winter. Uh, going into the you know my senior season and then I didn't really have uh, as good of a season my senior year um, and so music really kind of stuck it in there with me and uh, that was that transition period in my life and um, you know it, it's easy to kind of see that looking back on it but at the time it, it wasn't hard kind of struggling on the field a little bit you know we were still we still won 45 games but I, I, I wasn't um, playing as well as I wanted to be and, uh, and and so there was there was a lot of you know internal struggle during that time and and music honestly uh, I look at that now it kind of saved me I can relate to so much we were talking about because I played in you know I played summer ball too in, in the Coastal Plain League and in the New England Collegiate Baseball League and those bus rides and men just having a great time but you know I like to always talk about how and find people's stories up it's it's so it's I want to say it's such a common thread, especially with with people who reach the pinnacle, regardless of their profession. It's almost like there's a sampling period. And, and David Epstein, author of Range and the Sports Gene, who I've had on the pod, um, talks a lot about how that period of trial, right, that that sampling period is is such a vital component to people ultimately finding their passion. You know, that seems to be a correlation. And, 
you know, despite the fact that you were locked in on athletics at a young age, you know, just your background as far as your family is concerned, was it one of those deals where, you know, parents or guardians were like, hey, give it a shot, let you follow your path? Or did you feel like pressed to have to play athletics? Or did the the opportunity kind of, you know, try whatever you want or or be a little diverse, keep that door open for you? and, And you didn't feel that external pressure to have to go and lock in in baseball? Yeah, so I tell you, my I I was outrageously blessed with two parents that didn't have athletic ability, <laughs> um, and really or any musical ability for that matter. I, they supported me with what I wanted to do, but I was never I never there was zero times in my life that I've ever felt pressure to do anything. Now, this is something that, that I do talk about a lot, and I'm seeing it with my girls now. My parents, not one time, ever had to tell me to go outside and throw a baseball against the chimney to catch ground balls. Or, you know, but my dad, my dad built field goal posts in our backyard so I could kick. And we had, you know, I had a basketball goal, but there were literally, you couldn't stop me from doing that. And even as I got into high school, when I, once I got my, my driver's license, even during football and, and basketball season, which I played both of those too, um, I was in the cages at 5 a.m. every day with uh, my buddy Chris S., who's now a big uh, – he, he just um, was a line judge in the LSU Southern game the other day, and, and he's a, a defense attorney. But he and I, he was just as disciplined as me, and we would meet, and, and we'd go hit at 5 in the morning, go to my grandmother's right down the road. She'd cook us breakfast, and we'd go to school, and then we would have football or basketball that evening. And uh, no one told me to do that. You know what I mean? And I feel right. I feel completely blessed to have that. And now even my girls come and ask me to go throw. You know, I I try to kind of give them that kind of um, leeway, so to speak. Uh, we certainly want them playing, and we certainly help them. And I coach a little bit and do all that stuff. But I try to support it and teach where I can, although they will not listen to me. <laughs> You're not alone. And I'm like, you do, you do realize that I've played more ball than, than everybody out here that's, that's coaching right now. But they, um, I don't have to tell them to do anything, which is a, a beautiful thing. And I, I do think, and, and seeing it in music, seeing it in you know whatever profession you're in, I do think that there's that part of people that become successful. And you said something about me preaching the pinnacle earlier. No, sir. <laughs> I do think also athletics kind of gives you that. I, I, I feel like I'm still at the bottom fighting as hard as I can. Um, but I, as a parent, I want to support just the way that my parents supported me. Um, but I think that you're born with that um, gene or that, that passion um, to go out and, and do what you, what you really love to do, what you want to do. You're talking about intrinsic motivation and, and you know having the willingness to go do things on your own, which it's, I almost feel like at times it's contradictory today because everything is structured, everything is organized. We're pulling our kids from here to there. You know, a, a, what about from from a musical standpoint? Do you feel like you need to introduce your kids, or is that something that you're finding? Do they have any interest in in you know following your passion or seeing dad you know play music? Is that something that they're interested in? A, a little bit. So Carolina, my oldest girl, um, she's written a couple songs. She's ten now but um she's written a couple songs and i think they see you know my office is right there in the where my guitar and all that stuff is right there in the house and so they see me doing that uh they they love to go to shows and stuff and i kind of 
expose it that way. But once she she brought me lyrics one time, and she's like, I'm right, you know, like for a school project, uh, they go to, uh, it's called Concord Christian School, and so they have like chapel, and they'll get the lead chapel, and she's written a couple of songs for that. And she did all that, like, that was her idea. Um, but I certainly, once she did it, I kind of helped her craft a little bit of it, and I went and played guitar for her during the chapel. So I, I support it, but I think that, they're immersed with it. So they see me doing what I do. I, I talk more about hard work than I do anything specific, like whether it's, you know, with softball and what they're doing or with, with music. Um, and thinking back, even though my parents weren't, um, really athletically inclined, um, two of my neighbors played college basketball. So, there was, I was always around them. They were probably, they were five and six years older than me. And so trying to play with them, I think I had a lot, I saw that too, right? I saw their discipline and as a young, young kid. And I think that probably has a lot to do with it, you know, especially when you start talking about the environment that, that you grow up in. When you see that, you see other people doing it, you want to do that when you look up to them. So I think that has a lot to do a little bit with what my girls are doing and, um, and watching me musically and, and that whole situation. So I always talk about, and I think it's so important to extract as many as many life skills and lessons we could take out of sport experience. I know I use sports for my kids as a teaching tool to try to, you know, to help to help them get prepared for life. Um, and you mentioned, you know, going into your senior year, having expectations, at least yourself, you know, want to get drafted or whatever, and maybe not playing to the best of your ability or whatever the case is. But I'm sure there had to be that same type of grind when it came to you know, getting started in, in music and, and more important, even today, right? I mean, maintaining, you know, continuing to climb the ladder and achieve what you consider to be your level of success and where you want to go. How many, how many times do you draw on the lessons that you learn struggling during athletics when you're struggling or dealing with some adversity, you know, in your professional music world now? A hundred percent of the time. I honestly, I, that's probably what I draw on the most, to be honest with you. I, that time period, um, covid time period um you know i this is how i kind of relate what i do you know I, I grew up watching my dad my dad was a type 1 diabetic and from the time he's 15 and um i watched him get up and go to work before the sun came up every day and come home and then play with me when he got home tired but he did all that with a smile on his face so i've always had that in my life right and then the athletic side of that um really comes into play on several different levels i think that you have to be so internally driven and disciplined when you're uh well obviously you and i played baseball so we can talk about that but you know you it can't be your coach that's pushing you or your dad that's pushing you if you're trying to get somewhere farther down the road that has to come from within and i think learning through that process with me and baseball and learning everything that I could about baseball, about catching ground balls, about hitting, you know, reading the science of hitting a million times, <laughs> um, you know, looking at the Eastman catalog and circling everything and being that <laughs> driven about baseball. You remember that? Are we saying East Bay? Remember that? Is that what we're talking about? The yeah, East Bay? Yes. Dude, that was, uh, that was like the Sears Roebuck catalog for Christmas. Dude, absolutely. And, and, and so I lay, I remember this so specifically, I would lay awake all night and do that. And, you know, I, I feel blessed on the passion side or whatever that is, because now, even now, 
And I've been making a living where it's the only thing that I've been doing since 2003 <laughs> in music. But even now, I will lay awake all night and not be able to sleep because I dream about and plan and I visualize, which I did a lot of that in baseball. Um, I saw myself hit home runs. I saw myself throw people out. I saw myself do all that before I did it. And I remember doing like at Western, I did a, in a communication class, I did a, a, a speech on visualization and I just learned what it was. So the speech was absolutely horrible, but I remember, you know, long ago before that, has been that's a lot more prevalent now at least in the way people talk about it i was doing that kind of thing and i utilize that as much as i do anything but i i can't there's something inside of me that will make me lay awake all night and plan what i'm doing and so when covid came around you know i had to kind of figure out how to continue to make a living you know i'm a completely independent artist so there's nobody there's not a big record label or somebody, you know, kind of floating you a little bit. You got to go and work to, to, to get what you got, you know, and get what you get. And I had to really figure out what, what to do. And I'd already started doing these hometown house parties. And so I, I decided I was going to double down. I had a stage built, a trailer stage that I drive by myself around the country. It's been around the country five times. Oh, and so I relate that right there to those bus rides the van rides, the, you know, making sure in summer ball that you're going out and, and lifting and, and, and getting ground balls and stuff before the games, because there wasn't, you know, at least when I was playing, we didn't have like team workouts. You just played every night, you know? And so I, someone had to make you go and do that kind of stuff. Um, and I draw on that because it gives you an edge. And I think that within my industry now, I certainly look at and take and draw on the preparation, you know, whether that's working out, which is very similar to doing, you know, athletically. I still have to do that kind of stuff. That gives me that mental edge. Uh, it gives me the, you know, the confidence, you know, when you're prepared to do something, gives you that confidence to go out and do it. And I, you know, I don't really see the direct competition like we're playing a game in my industry now. Um, it's very competitive on a macro scale, so to speak, but I certainly draw on, I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to work harder than everybody else aspect of what I did in basketball and football and baseball. Um, as a kid, I draw on it a hundred percent of the time, every day of my life. When we return, Matt and I discuss how visualization can have a direct impact on your confidence. Welcome back. Where we left off, Matt and I were about to talk about how he develops confidence and the importance of teaching his kids to learn from failure. You bring up visualization, man, and, and mindfulness. I've had on, you know, several guests like George Mumford here recently, Seth Pepper, and others who, who you know, are into mental training and helping athletes at the highest levels and even, you know, younger athletes, you know, work that part. And you hear, you know, the, the rest in peace Kobe Bryant talk about the mama mentality and all these different folks, you know, the, the getting mental edge like you talked about. And I remember seeing a video on Twitter not too long ago back when Drew Brees was playing quarterback still, and he's out there doing reps by himself in the stadium, just visualizing, working on that. And then I also think about, you know, the ESPN 30 for 30 with the NC State Wolfpack, right? The basketball team talking about Jim Valvano, how, how they went on that miraculous run in the mid-80s and won the national title. 
Um, and you hear the players in that 30 for 30 talking about how Jimmy V would at the end of practices, and this is the beginning of the year. And I guess if you read the story or listen to it, you know, they were, they were pretty good, but you know, they, they weren't considered like a contender to win a national title. At the end of practices, he would literally have them, you know, cut down the nets. Like they just won the national title. And, and the team said that they would do this all year. And in the beginning, they'd be like, what the hell are we doing? Like, this is, doesn't make any sense. But the 30 for 30 would say like, as the year went on, you start doing it. And the more you're doing it, you start believing, yeah, this is what we should be preparing for. This, it, it made them believe. So how much of those repetitions of visualization, how much does that give you an edge? Do you think that is a major separator? I absolutely think it is. And I think, you know, those guys that you brought up, they learned how to harness it. I still haven't learned that. You know, when, it, when that visualization becomes way more directed um, and you realize what's happening, I think early on I used to have, um, I would look at it almost as, man, I had this dream that I, uh, you know, that I had a, a double uh, or whatever, you know, and, and I would see myself so clearly this stuff happening. And I would look at that as a dream, right? Initially, I was like, man, I had this dream. I saw it. And then it was almost like deja vu when it happened in the games. It was weird. Um, but I always kind of looked at it. I didn't know what to call that until I kind of learned about it. And now people, I think, can have that edge because they can be very uh, specific about it. Like Coach Jimmy V making them cut down the nets. And, and as you were saying that, you know, Coach LeClaire, I played for Keith LeClaire. Goat. Legend. <laughs> yes. Um, he went a long time ago put a sign of uh, 1,002, which is, you know, from Cullowee, North Carolina to Omaha, 1,002 miles. And that was on our little batting cage there in Cullowee. And he talked about it all the time. He, you know, as we were raking the field, you know, there was no grounds crew, (laughs) none of that stuff. As we were raking the field or going, picking up our water log, you know, BP balls and all that stuff. He talked about it. This is what you got to do. You know, all of those things. And I think the one thing like at Western in particular that, that we had, that we could see too was Jack Leggett was at Clemson doing it right. We're growing it in Cullowee, but he started all that stuff. And so we, we not only could see what coach LeClaire was able to do and how he talked about it, but we knew that there was another level to that and that it came from where we were from. And so we had that whole little thing during that, you know, I think there were 30 years of 30 plus wins and tons of regionals and all that stuff. And, and we, harnessed that and i think that's a level of visualization i think what leclerc was doing is very similar to what jimmy v was doing you know that didn't come to fruition until cliff was able to go with east carolina but it was that same mentality that came from coach leclerc that's very similar to what you just described with, with jimmy v um and i think that that is massively important because it gives you confidence and if you can see yourself and it, it only has to happen one time you see yourself hitting a game-winning home run with your eyes closed, and then it happens. You're you're at a whole different level of confidence, and 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 that certainly gives you a massive edge. You know, as you navigate youth sports culture with your kids, you have, I believe, a nine and ten year old, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on the age. But how do you navigate? Like, what are you going to do as a, as a country music artist, as a former athlete? Your kids are involved in different sports. How do you navigate that, making sure they don't get you don't get caught? And the rat race that is youth sports getting pulled in a million directions. 
that's hard, man. It's um, first answer. I have a wonderful wife that really, really supports all of that stuff because I do stay on the road quite a bit. And so I'm able to have a little bit of a, uh, a perch, so to speak, that, you know, I don't have to be all the way in that rat race every weekend. Um, that being said, um, I certainly am at practices. I'm at um, as many games as I can be. Um, and we've luckily been able to find a good travel team that that has coaches and a coaching staff basically you know throughout the program that played you know and have they have a really good understanding of teaching the game uh making sure that you're getting you know your physical conditioning and and that you know you're developing athletically and not just softball specific in their case but they teach the game um and they're not crazy overly concerned with trying to win every tournament and get a fake ring (laughs) and um and so i i kind of really lay into that side and i try to support as best i can because having having a good coach having that side of things as a kid is so important um that i feel very you know and even on their middle school team my youngest is in fourth grade so she shouldn't be playing middle school but she does she leads off uh but they have great coaches and we've, we've been very lucky about that. Great coaches that teach the game and also understand that failure is such a big part of that. And they're able to talk to them about that failure, uh, and how to deal with that. And I think baseball in particular taught me so much about, you know, you boot a ground ball, there's another pitch coming immediately. Or if you, you know, if you strike or whatever. You know, failure is such a big part of the game, uh, and that honestly is really the part that moving forward, whether they're nine years old or they're, you know, all the way in their profession doing, you know, playing music for people, failure is such a big part of that. And, and when you have that foundation of learning how to deal with it and how to move, learn from it, very important, but also move past it. Uh, which athletics gives you, uh, and baseball in particular, and softball in particular, really give you. Um, I think that lesson is really where I try to support the girls. You know, I, I don't, you know, really jump into the specifics about what they did, what they didn't do. I do try to show them when I can, but other than that, I try to make sure that they're having fun and um, that they learn from what they did you know, if they made a mistake or whatever, uh, and, and build them up. And I think those lessons are really the ones that last down the road. And, you know, you talked about a rat race with youth sports, man. I tell you, watching some of these uh, parents and coaches and, and just get crazy in this stuff uh, for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, learn the game, make them have fun. Uh, you and I both probably, I don't think we've ever talked about it, but you and I both probably played with guys that were burnt out by the time they got to college. That was their only goal. I'm going to go play college baseball. And, uh, but by the time they got there, they were completely burned out. And I certainly don't want that for the girls, uh, but I'm not going to harness them back when they want to go play. You know what I mean? Keep it light. Keep them, bottom line is, give the kids the space and the freedom to allow them to go out there and, and support them, love them. But, you know, just remember they're, they're fourth graders, they're fifth graders, you know, there's an element of, hey, we got to keep it in perspective here. And I think at times we lose that. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing. Matt, where can we find, you know, where can folks follow you? Where's the best places to go? 
Yeah, so mattstillwell.com is the easiest thing and that you can get to everything from there. Uh, mattstillwell.com on Spotify and Apple and YouTube. It's all Matt Stillwell music. Very easy to find blue check marks. So you'll know that it's me and, um, lots of, lots of music and lots of videos out there. You can go binge listen to me and, and watch me for sure. Definitely do it. Dude crushes it. Great music. Love him. Great musician, but even better human being, man. I'm, I'm happy to have connected with you. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing, bro. Nick, man, I love what you're doing and, and keep on doing it. And glad to see how much it's grown uh, since our very first conversation. And uh, honored to be a part of it. That's Matt Stillwell, country music singer and former collegiate baseball player. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.